America goes to the polls next week for the crucial midterm elections. In today's show, we'll break down just why the midterms are so important in the United States. We'll also take a trip down the Mississippi River to talk to voters about some of the key issues in the campaign. I'm Jeannie Godula. Next Tuesday, November 8th, Americans head to the polls for the all-important midterm elections. It's a vote that could make or break the rest of President Joe Biden's term. And to tell us more about it is France 24's Aaron ogan Kay. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Jeannie. Break it all down for us. So what are the midterms and why are they important? So the midterm elections, Jeannie, for Congress are held halfway through a president's four-year term. So it's not exactly that they're every two years, but two years after the president is elected. So these elections are meant to kind of deter, often are seen as a referendum on the president's first two years in office. Now, they determine the composition of the two chambers of Congress, the lower house, the House of representatives and the upper house, which is the Senate. Uh, we'll start with the lower house, Jeannie. Uh, in the House of Representatives, then, all 435 seats are up for grabs. Uh, for now, the Democrats, as you can see in this graphic, there have a slight majority. So the big question is whether or not they will be able to maintain that. Now, as a reminder, the number of representatives per state is supposed to be proportionate to the state's population. Uh, it's also supposed to be the members of Congress that are closest to the people, which is why they're either elected or up for re-election every two years. Uh, it's supposed to give voters more immediate control of their representatives and the direction that they make the government go in. Uh, for the upper house, Jeannie, the Senate, the 35 of the body's 100 uh, seats are up for grabs. There are two sen senators per state. For now, again, uh, the Democrats hold a very slight majority, 48 Democrats with two independents, uh, worth what we'll talk about it later, but the vice president breaks the tie uh, in, in the event of, of a tie. Uh, there are two senators per state, as I said, so every two years, one third of the Senate is elected or reelected, and that's to make sure that the body is renewed frequently enough so the voters feel like they have immediate control, again, over, over the people that are representing them. Well, let's talk more specifically about Joe Biden's presidency. What would happen if, if he were to lose the Democrats' already slim majority? Well, that is, is the big question, Jeannie, this year and every time there are midterm elections, really. That's because the more a president's party has control of Congress, the easier it is for them to fulfill their cam campaign, policy, uh, campaign promises and policy objectives through law. Uh, that's because whoever controls those chambers also controls controls the committees that writes the legislation and decides what pieces of legislation are going to be voted on. Uh, midterms, again, are often seen as a referendum on the president's first two years in power. The president's uh, party often does fare poorly in midterms. So if that does happen this year, it's not necessarily exceptional in terms of how things tend to go. Uh, so again, as we've seen, Democrats hold slim majorities in both chambers. Uh, in the House of Representatives, uh, it's the party that has at least 218 of the 435 seats uh, that has the majority. And and in the Senate, the party with 51, again, of the total of 100 seats, is the one that has the majority. It's worth mentioning here, Jeannie, that in the Senate, if there is a 50-50 tie, uh, it's the vice president, who's also the head, the president of the Senate, uh, that casts the deciding vote. Now, in that case, of course, uh, the vice president now is Kamala Harris. She's a Democrat. Uh, and so she she will have the deciding vote if there's still a tie. Now, Jeannie, it's worth mentioning that one uh, of our viewers asked us on social media if the midterm elections can lead to the fall of Joe Biden's government. It's not like some of the parliamentary systems that we see here in Europe. That's not, so the answer to that is no, not exactly. Uh, but it can prevent him, again, from fulfilling his agenda and fulfilling his campaign promises. Local officials, of course, have also vowed to pursue very hard right policies, especially on abortion. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that, Aaron. Stay with us. We're going to come back to you in just a few minutes' time. Aaron, there, just mentioning abortion, which is one of the hot button topics this time around. The abortion debate is particularly raging in the Midwestern state of Wisconsin. That's where a law dating back to 1849 banning nearly all abortions has now been put back into effect. 
The law is currently being challenged in court, though, and the Wisconsin attorney general says he won't enforce it. But for now, all abortion clinics in Wisconsin have shut down, forcing women there to travel to neighboring states. Fanny Allard and Katha Van Gorgistani report. Sam White is 23. She got pregnant back in May and was supposed to get an abortion the day the Supreme Court of the United States overturned Roe v. Wade. My friend was going to drive me. She showed up at my place. We had all of my stuff ready to go. And I got a notification on my phone from um, the AP News saying that Roe was overturned. Right after that, I got a call from Planned Parenthood and they told me that they were unable to see me effectively. Abortion in Wisconsin was immediately illegal. I was upset about the impact that it had on the country, but also the impact that it had on me as an individual. Working evenings as a waitress to pay for her studies, White says she would not have been able to raise a child on her own. Despite her struggles, she was able to make it to neighboring Minnesota in time to get an abortion. It was really, really hard for me, but at the same time, I am, you know, a college student. I have an education. I have a job. I have a car. And so I still am privileged. You know, it was an awful situation, but I couldn't imagine going through it without some of those privileges. I would say that out of all of the issues our country is facing, for me personally, women's rights is number one right now. Under an 1849 state law, which is currently being challenged in court, it is a felony to provide an abortion except when the mother's life is at risk, with no exceptions for rape or incest. A rollback of women's rights that has fired up activists ahead of the November 8 midterms. Hi, are you Laura? Yes. Hi, Laura. I'm Joella. I'm with Planned Parenthood Advocates of Wisconsin. So we're just out talking to neighbors today to see how folks are feeling after the recent Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. There's some pathways to restoring legal abortion services in Wisconsin. I'm afraid, but it makes me hopeful to know that there are people willing to, to fight for what we all deserve. Planned Parenthood was aiming to spend a record $50 million to elect abortion rights supporters across the country. There are politicians who would like to see that codified, really keep that as the law of the land in the state of Wisconsin. And so it's important uh, from our standpoint that we elect reproductive champions um, who will fight to restore that access and do what they can at the legislative and judicial levels to restore access to that essential health care. Over the summer, a wave of female registrations on new female voters in Wisconsin outnumber men by 17 points, with Democrats hinging their hopes on making abortion the central issue of the midterms. Aaron, let me bring you back in here. Abortion, obviously a big issue for many voters. What other issues are pushing people to the polls this time around? So abortion, Jeannie, as you said, and like we saw in that in that, in that that report, it's a big issue mostly for the left, Jeannie. Uh, that's why the Joe Biden had vowed to codify abortion rights if Democrats maintain control of Congress. But one of the big criticisms about that, Jeannie, was that for a lot of American voters, that's really not the most pressing issue. The most pressing issue this year, I think, arguably, is the skyrocketing cost of living and inflation, which hit a 40-year high this summer 
summer. Uh, Seventy-seven percent of registered voters say that the economy is very important for their vote, and Republicans think uh, that 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 those concerns about the economy will work to their advantage, especially as Democrats again have been largely focused on uh, on abortion rights. And finally, uh, Jeannie, this year gun policy and crime is also a major part of the campaigning. That same uh, Pew Research poll that I mentioned earlier found that sixty-two percent of American voters consider gun policy and important to be very important to their vote. In 60 percent uh, consider violent crime to be very important to how they're going to vote. Uh, Republicans and are focusing on painting Democrats, as we've heard before, as soft on crime. They, Republicans also tend to link immigration to crime and say that Democrats are, are soft on immigration. What's interesting about this, Jeannie, I think, is that Democrats are also concerned about crime, but not in the same way. Uh, they're really concerned about political violence, a rise in political violence and just kind of harsher political rhetoric. Uh, the January 6th Capitol riots were a turning point for many Democrats, even independents. And then more recently, the attack on Paul Pelosi, of course, the husband of the Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on October 28th. They're really concerned that the more uh, violent Republicans are in the rhetoric, the more concrete violence that that will cause. Aaron, thanks so much. That's France 24's Aaron Ogunkaye. Well, Aaron was saying there that rhetoric in the U.S. is not just increasingly divisive. It has emboldened people to go so far as to use violence in order to attain their political goals. One of the most shocking examples of that came in 2017, one year after Donald Trump was elected president in Charlottesville, Virginia. That was the scene of violent and deadly protests led by white supremacists angry over the city's decision to take down a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. A counter-protest the next day ended with the death of a young woman killed when a neo-Nazi rammed his car into the crowd. Five years later, our journalists went back to Charlottesville to see how the town has evolved since that tragic day. Charlottesville is a small liberal college town about 100 kilometers west of Richmond, which was once the capital of the Confederacy, in a state where segregation was still a reality 60 years ago. For the past five years, with the help of Pastor Jerome Lee, Gathers has been trying to fight ignorance. White supremacy is nothing more than an ideology. It's what people believe. Because there is no such thing as a white person who's superior to any other race. So how do you break that, 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 that teaching? How do, you, how do you change the mindset? And that's, what, uh, that's, that's where we are now. That's, that's what's necessary, I think, moving forward. You have to stand up and address it. To, you, can't, you can't put your head in the sand and act like it ain't happening. You're not walking around looking, but you just have to realize that they're still here. It's calm today, but it will raise its head again. Maybe not in my lifetime, but you have to remember the history. Remember history. That's what Eze Amos wanted to do through 36 pictures. Pictures the photographer chose to show a resilient community rather than one struck by violence. It's my idea of, um, of giving Charlottesville um, a reason to talk about what happened, um, uh, a way for us to reflect on what happened five years ago, and also a way for us to, to reclaim the narrative of what happened five years ago. These pictures show Susan Bro, whose daughter died in the attack. Don Gathers, the civil rights activist. Amos doesn't know any of them personally, but each face tells a story. 
This photo was taken whilst um, community members gathered to mourn the death of uh, Heather Heyer. I still remember this very vividly. I was photographing, I looked up, up on the hill, and there I saw this girl. And you can see in her face, she was confused. And that, that was what caught my eyes. Amos, who moved to Charlottesville from Nigeria 14 years ago, believes that the chaos of 2017 was a turning point. There's still a lot of work, a lot of work to be done. But I can tell you this from a black person living in Charlottesville, that we are doing that work. A lot of people have been emboldened to speak out. So when somebody's messing up, they call them, people will write and be like, what are you doing there? We don't want you there, get out of there. People talk now, they, they have a voice. According to the Anti-Defamation League, at least 131 murders were carried out by white supremacists since 2017. And top law enforcement officials in the Biden administration have publicly stated that white supremacists are now the biggest domestic threat to the homeland. That wraps it up for this special Inside the Americas on the U.S. midterms. We'll see you again next week for all the news from north to south. Special events. From November 6th to 18th, Egypt will host the 2022 Sharm el-Sheikh Climate Change Conference. The climate crisis is a growing threat to the world's population. We'll be there conducting interviews and debating climate issues, but also bringing you reports and special editions. COP27, 12 days to tackle climate change on France 24.